0: day
1: to be ha- able to talk with Bill guy on this morning not only because we've known each other forget- forever but also because he <laughs> um, is one of my gurus of um the <laughs> live oak trees of new orleans and of the state of louisiana and for that the gulf coast and um i am extremely concerned about our live oak trees because I have now gotten in the habit of, as I drive around the city, spotting trees that I know from the simple fact that if you're losing the mantle of a tree, you're losing the tree. And so I can look at a tree and know immediately that it's in trouble. And so at the corners where you have cars sitting at lights um, in front of uh, tourism destinations, Uh, schools where people are sitting in their cars, uh, running them when they don't really need to. Um, uh, In all kinds of places like that, where you have um, excessive carbon uh, monoxide being, is it carbon monoxide, (laughs) is that right? (laughs) Being put out into the air. and um and our trees are threatened not only that but of course after during uh, right after katrina um, we know that Entergy hired what i call the texas um uh tree massacre guys (laughs) to come in uh to to cut away uh branches from wires they said oh this is our chance well we're all evacuated they could go after our the trees and they did and um to, uh, again, very bad effects. And you can look at trees on Esplanade Avenue where I came to town, just as they were uh, cutting on the tree in front of my house and I got rid of them. I was able to call somebody I knew at, at Entergy and said, get these guys off my block. And um, you know what they did was not work with Bayou Tree Service who they normally work with to save money. They bring in the Texas Chainsaw guys and um, it was a, a tragedy. So. You, on the other hand, um, you know, praise and, and, and depict the trees in, in your spectacularly beautiful photographs, many of which um, I've got. I have a poster uh, <clears throat> with one of your trees, and, um, you know, you are um, both calling out their beauty, but also, I think, warning us that we we have an issue. So Bill, tell me what's going on. I am really petrified to be truthful.
2: Well, um, I'll talk first about uh, my newest book. My newest book is um, just coming out and it's sort of a retrospective of the 40 years that I've been documenting uh, historic and notable live oaks around the state. Uh, And much of the text of the book talks to the fact that we're losing the old trees and we're losing them faster than just about anybody realizes. Um, but there is hope in New Orleans. I, I wanted to let you know that I just got an email from Virginia Miller uh, yesterday. She's, she's hosting a, a gathering at her house um, with a presentation by Tim Benton who I believe is with Bayou Tree Service or one of the is. other. I know Tim. Yeah. yeah, Tim is trying to start a fledgling nonprofit to protect live oaks in Orleans Parish. Um, they want to raise money and raise awareness, specifically to uh, protect the old trees around New Orleans and to plant new trees. Um, so that was a, a light of hope. I won't be able to make the the gathering at her house tonight because I have a book signing in, in Thibodeau. But um, I wanted to let you know about that. If you don't yes, know Virginia you. or Tim. I do know Virginia.
1: Yeah. And I have Virginia. no problem calling her and inviting myself. I definitely want to be there because <laughs> I'm, I'm passionate about this. Um, I, I really, uh, I mean, you know, I, I always say that there are, um, you know, everybody talks about the the food and the music here, but I have a theory that what really stimulated the whole cultural um, depth and beauty of New Orleans um, really came from the the landscape and, yes. and, and the trees. And and, yes. the, and 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 I always say that the two things about New Orleans that captivate me the most are are the trees the live oaks and, and the clouds, you know, the, the, the tropical clouds <laughs> that we get at certain times of the year, but yeah. um, I, I'm just horrified uh, as, I, as I say that I do my own visual survey as I drive around and um, I, I just see so much, I, I would say, I, I, can't, I can't give a number and a percentage, but a significant number of trees are in trouble.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, The live oaks that make up part of the visual personality of the city um, are slowly being lost. And people are not paying attention. (laughs) And somebody needs to. So I think that's what uh, Tim is trying to do. Uh, I mean, that's what I have tried to do for 40 years is to call out yeah call out the the document the trees while they're still around and to get people to pay more attention to them because they are a cultural and environmental and historic resource for not just new orleans but the whole state um and that's much of the topic of my newest book which is um called Return to Heartwood. I got to put a plug in here for the book. Oh,
1: oh well, we're gonna, Return to we're Heartwood. It's
2: called Return to what? <laughs> return to Heartwood. Okay. Yeah, the, so. my, very, my very first book, which was published back in um, 1998 by Bullfinch Little Brown, was called Heartwood, Meditations on Southern Oaks. Um, this is kind of a retrospective calling back to that, uh, and including a lot of the work that I've done since that first book came out. So go ahead, what were you gonna ask? So, um, well, l- l- let me
1: say uh, stay on the book for a moment because uh, okay. um, uh, we can, uh, I, well, let me just ask this one question that I don't wanna to forget to ask before we're, we're done. And, uh, and that is, um, is what's happening a normal course of aging, or is it climate change, or I, I suppose you could say easily a combination of the two, but you know, why is what's happening happening and what in fact is it that is
2: um, threatening them? Uh, it's several factors. Uh, climate change is not the least of which is uh, affecting the trees, uh, but it's also depleted soil and air um, from what, uh, water being polluted. Uh, we have a sugarcane industry that uses toxic chemicals um, year round, and that spreads throughout the soil and air. Uh, rampant development that's unchecked by any kind of laws or regulations about um, taking down old trees And the other is just a lack of awareness. People are are not aware that we're losing so many trees. Um, In in my book, in the introduction of my book, I talk about what really got my attention uh, about the situation. Back in the 1990s, after Hurricane Katrina, I worked on a magazine article for American Forests where I went back and uh, re- and photographed the original uh, 43 member trees of the Live Oak Society, which was established in 1934. So my project for the article was to go out and find these trees and photograph them and tell their stories. And I was alarmed to find out that 14 of the 43 trees were gone um that's that's yeah that's almost 30 percent of of the trees and and no one noticed uh it's it's as though they they were lost to development properties changed hands and and people forgot the trees were there the trees were uh cut down lost through storms lost through old age um whatever the case. And that's the situation with the oldest oaks. Um, the situation is the same with, with the newest trees They're, that have been here for you know just 100 to 150 years old. The trees in the Live Oak Society, the original member trees, were more than 100 years old in 1934. So that's a generation of trees that 250 to 500 years old. And wow. I've been, yeah, I've been following those trees. Some of those trees were here before America was America, before the European settlement of the country. Um, and I have been following those trees um, for the last 20 or 30 years, uh, re them, um, following their health, and they're all in, in rapid decline. And they should be living longer. And it's just that nobody's paying attention, except for maybe the people who live nearby them. Um, and there are a number of, of um, arborists around the state who are aware of it. They're the ones who are having to deal with it. They get called um, by tree owners to go out and and help them... Um, Maintain these old trees, so they're aware of it. Which is why I'm glad to see Tim Benton uh, taking some action to try and do something to protect the, the live oaks in different uh, urban areas in the state.
1: Um, what is an old live oak?
2: Yeah. Uh, I consider an old old live oak uh, more than 100 years old, a centenarian which uh, most of most of the trees in, in downtown are in uh, yeah in the garden district and around New Orleans are more than a hundred years old. A lot of them were planted in the 30s when there was a big uh, urban development of the city. but in the parks uh, they're even older.
1: Um, and, and, and do we know what their normal life expectancy is without? Yes. Any ch-
2: what? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, a, a live oak tree ordinarily would live, would grow for 100 to 150 years. It would maintain itself for another 100, 150 years and then go into decline for another 100, 150 years. So three to 500 years is not an extraordinary lifetime for uh, a live oak. So is it possible
1: that a significant percentage of our trees fall into that, uh, are that old? Or it sounds like if, if a large part of the trees within the city boundaries were, were planted in the thirties, then no, they're, they're yeah. still within 150. They're still in their yeah. younger years.
2: The trees that are in the parks uh, and on some of the old plantation grounds, those are um, the oldest trees. They're the generation that was planted probably Uh, when the first Europeans uh, settled in New Orleans and around New Orleans. And some of those trees were um, existing there, growing there, uh, when the land was settled. Some of the oaks uh, around Audubon Park uh, predate uh, European settlement. Um, You're probably familiar with the tree of life. It's the Etienne de Barre oak in in Audubon. That's... um, that's an exceptionally old tree. And then there's uh, the old grove of uh, oaks that are in uh, city park that predate any kind of European settlement. Some of those trees are uh, multiple hundred years old. And it's fortunate that they live in the park because they get attention and, and maintenance and care.
1: So, so, so Bill, um... Your, your book, give you the title again. Heart- it's
2: Return to return to Heartwood. Return to a, Heartwood. A Search and, and for the Heart of Live Oak Country. In, in,
1: in bookstores?
2: Yeah, it's gonna be in, um, you see Garden District Bookstores, Blue Cypress, and I'm uh, still working with Octavia Books to get it in there. So people okay. can find, find them at any of those bookstores or they can go online and, and buy it from the uh, the books website which is uh, return to return to h-e-a-r-t-w-o-o-d dot
1: H-E-A-R-T-W-O-O-D. com okay yeah. um, so how, how did you get on to this <laughs> you know I, I think the quite you know the, we, we 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 have these moments in life where um, there's a there's a uh, a, a flip and, and uh, or some kind of um, inflection point where, uh, I don't know, we, we, we meet somebody. I always talk about meeting Bob Tannen in, in, in uh, Central Park. That changed sure. my life for sure. I didn't know it was gonna change my life, but it did. And um, there are just moments that, that change your life. And, and what was the moment that you decided to dedicate a lot of your creative and technical and, and you know, professional capacity to our oak trees.
2: Um, it was, I can look back to a, a photography workshop in California given by the Friends of Photography back in 1985. I was, um, one of the instructors was an old guy by the name of Morley Bear. He was an architectural and landscape photographer. And we were out photographing, um, Along the coast, uh, as part of the workshop, and I asked him how someone like myself, a young photographer, could make uh, stronger, more meaningful photographs. And he said, "One live longer. You need to have some life experience behind you." Uh, but he said, um, "Find something that you care about. Find something you love, and." work on a series, follow it for a year, two years, um, and see where it takes you. Um, So I returned to Louisiana after the workshop and found myself uh, kind of focusing on live oak trees. One, nobody else, no other artists had paid a whole lot of attention on doing a series uh, with live oaks. Some of the ultimately... landscape, some
1: of the landscape artists, you can say people like Drisdale and, and a lot exactly. of the early impressionists uh, exactly. did, and that's why I say that I really believe that the landscape was really important in kicking off our culture. We we you know again we always talk about music and food, um, but I believe when you look at all the early art, it's all about the landscape here.
2: And when tourists uh, leave from visiting here they all comment on the live oaks, um, hmm. making yeah. up um, the personality uh, and the spirit of the place. Well, that's what, what started.
1: Describe?
2: I'm sorry, go ahead. That's all right, that's what started me on photographing live oaks. And what start I say what started as a, a study, a photographic study in how to make better photographs, just kind of at some point, uh, turned into a calling. I realized, gosh, I've been doing this for a decade, two decades, and I didn't see any end to the work that I could do.
1: I see. Uh, I, uh, I I think that the um, the statement that uh, uh, he made about you know find something you care about and love, and see where it takes you. That's a, that's a, just a great um, instruction for life. And and, uh, everybody who talks about uh, what our careers and jobs and businesses are all about, say that you have to do what you love or else it's just work. Otherwise it's something much more important. Uh, What you have been doing is so important. Um, As I say, I'm very concerned about it. And now I hope everybody who has listened to this moment with you, these moments are going to do what I do, drive down the street and notice the trees that are losing their branches, especially at the top. And um, you can tell immediately when you look at them carefully, you don't even have to look at them carefully. You just have to absorb that tree at the corner and and notice the difference between it and the trees beyond it. Um, And you're you're gonna be able to tell very quickly a a tree that's in trouble. I hope you never ever stop uh, uh, bringing your eye and your uh, photographic equipment to, um, the trees of, of uh, again, as I said, not just New Orleans and Louisiana, but the Gulf Coast, really all the way around to, uh, it's, it's really coastal, all the way around to the South Atlantic, um, you know, in yes, the Carolinas, mm-hmm. you know, the oak trees are all over there. So um, I, think, um, I think it's really, really important what you're doing. And, and I'm glad to hear about Tom Beth. Thank you, Jane. Uh, Bill, thank you for what you do.
2: Thank you. Send and, my uh, love to Bob.
1: I sure will. Thanks, take care, bye. bye. Steph Smith, who is a filmmaker, cinematographer, producer, writer, all the things that go into uh, independent uh, filmmaking. And I get the impression you've done narrative, commercial, um, as well as documentary. I mean, you know, all forms. Is that right?
3: Yes, that's correct. I have done um, commercials, I've done commercials for some local judges. I've done a lot for the local yoga yoga studios, social media content, digital media content. I've done a few shorts. The New Orleans Art Council commissioned me to do a short on the oldest second line group in the New Orleans, which is a young man Olympian. And so I did that because they won an award, their 130 year old um, second line group and that was part of the Community Arts Award, So I've done, my hands have been a, a lot of different stuff. This is my first feature documentary film, Give Light Stories from Indigenous Midwives. It now is being screened virtually so you can watch it online. If you Google givelight.info, you can register and watch the documentary and travel around the world and learn about what midwives do, midwives do all over the world and the challenges they face and the disparity we have in reproductive health uh, with women all over the world, but particularly here, even in our, our city in New Orleans, how Black women are uh, disproportionately die compared to white women. So there's lots to do in obstetrics and maternity care. And obstetrics violence is another violence against women that kind of gets swept under the rug a little bit. And midwives and doulas are the solution to that violence.
1: So um, I, I think. Uh, it's, it's it's particularly pertinent for you to be presenting this in New Orleans because of our high percentage of our population being Black. And therefore, we have to have a higher rate of, of, of mortality uh, in, in childbirth than many places. So um, I, I can see why you focused in on this. But it was interesting as I read a little bit about you that um, you really kind of uh, built um your, this effort uh, of yours um, through travel. I mean, you were uh, in, involved with other projects and as you were doing them, um, uh, you might say on the side, you were uh, accumulating the uh, experiences and, and um, stories from women who have uh, been dealing on both sides of this as midwives. You'll have to talk to about doulas because I think most people don't know what doulas are. So we want to clarify that and and um, and then you you have of course focused here. So uh, tell me, um, you know, why you got so focused on this, and uh, and and what are some of the conclusions you've come to specifically about how things work? And one of the things I noticed in your material is that, um, and I agree with this wholeheartedly, is that what we're, we're not talking about either or, you know contemporary medical practice in hospitals versus um, home births. You're talking about um, benefiting from the the, um, assets and and, uh, experience, knowledge and traditions of both practices. And I think that's spot on. That's exactly what um, it it, it seems that makes sense. More and more we're recognizing the value of traditional um, uh, and home remedies. Uh, uh, worldwide in all areas of life so tell me how you got started on this.
3: Yes I lost my mother uh, when I was 12 pretty tragically and my heart had been aching for the wisdom of elder, the elder feminine and the divine feminine it was very absent in my life and I was at an herbal conference and I met a midwife that was four generations of midwife from Oaxaca, Mexico. And I have struggled with grief all my life and she suggested, she was going through a grief and the elders in her community suggested that she roll in purple flowers. And I think that connection with nature and the simplicity are, are fundamental things that our society is getting further and further away from that can be so restorative and so rejuvenating to our well being. And then I was involved in various plant medicine worlds and got invited. And absolutely, the goal of the film is to bridge the gap between traditional wisdom and modern technology. And there's lots of evidence to say that our medical complex is failing many people, not only in reproductive health, but other wellness areas because they're bypassing basic things such as emotions, diet. um, Before you go to the knife and before you subscribe, pharmaceuticals, there's a lot of steps that people can take for their own wellness. And and wellness is an individual effort. It's not a quick fix. And I think our society's gotten, we just want quick fixes. And in the traditional wisdom, it's it's more organic. There there's a holistic approach. There's a wellness. It's not just a band-aid. And in reproductive right and reproductive health, um, there's two models. The midwifery model is about empowerment. The midwifery doula model is about empowerment of the woman in this sacred time of creation. And And they understand that this is the ability and capability of a woman innately to birth a child. Where the medical model in the film addresses this is looking at the pathology of birth as birth as a, a disease that needs to be cured instead of understanding this is this is what women have been doing forever and can do into the future. And there's a medical anthropologist that states most OBs never see five percent of the OBs see a normal birth. So most OBs they've gotten so technical. They don't understand even what a normal birth is. For one, women shouldn't be laying down, they're working against gravity. And that was done actually, I think he, the history on that is King Louis in France wanted to watch the birth of his child, and that started the whole process. So uh, it's again an eclipse of women's power. It's you know, overrunning the innate ability of women and not completely re- not re- completely honoring and respecting uh, a woman's choice and rights.
1: Right. So uh, of course that is what makes this also so timely because of um, what we have been going through um, over um, the um, um, uh, cancellation I forget the word of of, um, of uh, um, our right to uh, um, abortion so um, and and I, I'm just uh, so thrilled that I'm able to talk with you right now uh, post-election and know that um, young people and women and and, and a lot of um, husbands and men in general um, uh, got out to the polls to protect our rights. And so um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to be thinking about uh, birth itself as another area of important rights that you are advocating.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. It's so empowering, uh, an empowering experience for women. You know, a lot of women say, I've birthed a child, I can do anything. And sometimes that experience has been taken from them and and they their voice, there's, there's a lot of women that are very angry from their experiences. And there's a lot of women don't realize they have options because they're feared into a medical model instead of empowered into a birth experience.
1: So tell me, um, tell me some of the principles of of uh, natural um birth that uh make midwifery still uh, <laughs> okay, right, that's,
2: my,
3: that's my dog pardon me she's um excited about the question <laughs> Just a second. hey chris
1: Yes, go ahead. Answer that question again, please. My my dog is being walked right now, too. Okay. <laughs> but, um, otherwise, she, he would be um, right at right at the uh, uh, right here in front of the screen as well.
3: Yeah, our home <laughs> offices—you know—they they bring in another level of interestingness.
1: Oh, I could go on forever about that subject. Okay. Uh, a while. But anyway, it's it's. Um, The question is, uh, what are some of the of the important elements of a uh, birth with the assistance of a midwife um, that make uh, that are uh, entail practices that with or without any uh, other kind of medical engagement through hospitals are are important and valuable that that you have um, learned about?
3: Yes, the midwife, um, again, sees the woman not necessarily as a client, but as well, sees it as a compliant client, their providers, but looks towards the mother as a partner in the experience of the birth and not like the one that's actually going to create the birth that they understand the mother is actually the one who is birthing and they're there to assist. So it's not such a hierarchical system as you often see in the medical. And so particularly in the postpartum, where uh, the mother might be going through, it's a big event to birth a child, hormonally, physiologically, and often mothers need support in the, in the front end, during, and the back end. And midwives often provide that. And actually aren't we're working on trying to get more policies. So Medicaid now recognizes midwifery and doula and supports its sustainability in Louisiana. Uh, Doulas are paid $750 for six months of work. So there's a disparity in how midwives and doulas are paid. I'm just throwing that in, but they offer like a more holistic and a human and a humane approach to birth than in an industrial technical birth. They They can support a woman in a freestanding clinic, they can support a woman in her home, or they can support a woman in the hospital, wherever the woman chooses to birth, where most the other options are just pretty much a hospital if it goes down a medical route. And then a woman in a hospital birth can write a whole huge birth plan. And then once one flip is, one switch is flipped, The birth plan goes out the window, and they go down uh, a specific route that's risk-based, so that it prevents any potential lawsuits, uh, which then disenfranchises uh, the woman and her experience.
1: And how um, I guess that that's a, a kind of an overview of the uh, of the essential underlying, you know, the principle of partnership of spirituality. But um, drilling down to the the uh, actual process of childbirth, are there any sort of notes that you can play for me that take the mystery out of it a little bit for some of the listeners. I mean, even me, I, I, I have no idea. I, did, I, I didn't have children, unfortunately, which was a partially a product of medical issues. Um, and uh, I'll be honest, I, I did have an abortion um, and I believe that um, some of the scar tissue as a result of that uh, interfered with um, future plans for childbearing. And I always say that you know instead of uh, talking um, religious beliefs that may not be shared by other people, if people talked about some of the uh, downsides of abortion, they might be more successful in persuading women to um, to go through with births when appropriate, of course, mm-hmm. but um, appropriate for their lives as well as the child's life. But um, what are what are some of the more sort of kind of technical or specific procedural? aspects of um, a midwife-led birth or partnered, uh, I think it's important, You're, the, distinguish, the this, this distinction you made between uh, working with a doctor in a hierarchical way as opposed to working with a midwife in a partnering way is I think really important, and very important to me, I believe. I, t- I try to train my doctors to understand that they are my partner and not my God. or my father or my you know my authoritarian partner so yeah that is
3: huge right there what you just shared and this is where uh we as individuals are defaulting that they know and we don't when actually we know and often it's explaining to try to get them to understand because they're because pathology a lot of doctors just thinking pathology, 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 not wellness. As far as like the midwives and there's no silver thing and I can't describe it other than that it's in the DNA of every woman. This is an innate ability. Every species on this planet, every feminine species or birthing person is capable of doing it. It's just in, in the cell and understanding that. And there can be complications for sure. And that sometimes has everything to do with our lifestyle, everything to do with what emotions are going on, whatever fear. So the tendency is often in the medical industry to put more fear into situations where in a midwifery model of care and a doula model of care, It's more of an empowerment where this is what they're capable of and it's more in a supportive structure. So it's like letting the mother fly versus suppressing and oppressing her innate ability.
1: I I love your um, phrasing and uh, it really does um, underscore the the freedom in a sense implied by uh, working with a midwife and not um, uh, being subject to the, as you say, the pathology inclinations of, of medical practice, of modern medical practice. That's that's really terrific. Um, let's talk about the uh, screening. Let's make sure that we make it easy for people to see what we're talking about. Um, so let's go good. to Thank you. Um, what's being shown when and how and how people can uh, get in on it.
3: Yes, if you go to givelight.info, um, and you click on the first big button under the poster. It says register here. It will take you to a platform, which is a new platform that I'm involved with a collective of, of filmmakers. And you can see the film virtually. So you at your home, you can watch the film at your home. GiveLight.info, click to register, and then you'll sign up. And then we're having a Q&A today at uh, the 15th, November 15th at 3 p.m. And then we're having a social impact Q&A on the 22nd. I believe that's 5 p.m. And all that information is on that link uh, that you go. You can give us a quote on the film. You can give us your feedback. There is a partner resource uh, kit that we're asking people to help us share information about the screening and about the very important topics in the film. And you can use that with suggested emails, or suggested social media posts with beautiful images of the many midwives that um, it's been filmed. We filmed in Peru, we filmed in Belize, we filmed in Namibia, we filmed in Greece, we filmed in Brazil, we filmed in the United States, we filmed in California, we have Mayan, Ahimba, Lapachi, Garifuna, midwives sharing their stories. These women took the time to share their stories and they're very worth hearing uh, for empowerment of reproductive health and reproductive justice. Givelight.info, check it out.
1: And I, it sounds like even though the specific subject is midwifery and, and, and childbirth, But it sounds like just listening to you talk, many of the principles that you have expressed, um, again, apply to um, all aspects of life. So uh, even for those who may not um, be expecting to uh, give birth or um, have in the past, but um, are really just um, questioning assumptions about how, what kind of expertise to source for anything that you're doing? you know, where where do you get your, um, I'm somebody who's always searching for expertise. So I I call my friends as many times to ask them to recommend somebody for something as I do to just say hello. So um, I think that uh, the the notion of of seeking alternative sources of of expertise is also an underlying principle of of your piece. And and, um, uh, do you agree?
3: Yes, yes. It's uh, very much connected to nature. There's a, be- a lot of natural footage and it addresses the public campaigns that have been run in the United States. And I've heard of others in other countries to disparage midwifery that, that kind of influence society to lean towards a medical model. So it shows uh, those campaigns and um, it addresses a lot of the rite of passage in our modern society, that has taken us from our innate abilities to, to uh, that are, take people from disempower move people to to disempowerment instead of empowerment. So it, it's definitely connected to nature, but it's it ends on an up note and it, it understands that there's a choice and it's trying to just promote a choice for uh, some women uh, medical. route is is probably the best route for them, but it's not necessarily the percentage that's occurring today. The World Health Organization is like 10 to 15 percent, where most women today are birthing in a hospital because they're so feared into it. So, um, and there's some legal issues, you know, you can legally birth at home, but a midwife can't legally support you. So she's out on uh, a limb if something doesn't go right, which sometimes that happens, it's just nature. And she doesn't have a huge institution uh, supporting her. So we as a community need to come up to understand that these beautiful caregivers and providers uh, need support and love from their community. Because they're doing a great service uh, for society because birth and birth trauma affects us all.
1: Speaking of trauma, hi, my blue puppy's back. Who is the source of my uh, trauma? And he has just returned from his walk. So um, this may be (laughs) the end. Oh, there you (laughs) go. Lovely. You
3: want to get on the air too.
1: I I wanted to touch on one other thing before uh, we uh, close off, and uh, you mentioned about the platform and a group of filmmakers, and I wanted to understand uh, what that's about, because that sounds relevant to some of the things that uh, we try to do, both with my nonprofit, the Creative Alliance of New Orleans, as well as my independent practice. So if you might just um, give me a, a little bit of a hint of what that's all about.
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, it's an exciting time for independent filmmakers. And most people don't know filmmaking is a hard journey. This is a 10 year project. And uh, we wrote several grants and didn't get very, didn't get any. And um, this new platform, now we're building partnerships. So if you, this film is a social impact film, social justice film, and through our partnerships, we can host uh, community screenings and virtual screenings together. You can go on, go to give light.info and get on the platform, watch the film. You can see how it works. And we can join with any partnership to help on education, to help fundraise for filmmakers and organizations. So it has huge potential to bring resources and it's not gatekeeping. There's no gatekeeper deciding if this film screens or not doesn't screen. It we bring it to your community. The community discusses important issues. The community decides if it wants to support financially um, what we're doing together. So it's really powerful um, new ways. Uh, where independent filmmakers partner and host virtual screenings together with organizations. I actually am in discussions with a bunch of midwives in Hawaii. They're trying to criminalize midwifery in Hawaii. And we're talking about bringing the film over there to, to set up a couple in-person screenings and then also do some virtual screenings. So it's, uh, it's the, the platform offers a virtual I think the hybrid approach is the best because of the interactivity you get uh, in uh, in in-person events but the hybrid has a farther reach. So with your virtual, so it's an exciting time for filmmakers but there's an education that needs to come with people and understanding most independent filmmakers it's one and done because it's just, you can't afford it, you know, and uh, most films never break even unless you have a huge studio behind it and a huge promotional budget. Um, it's very, very tough. Film festivals, the, the acceptance rate is 4% and mm. um, yeah, 4% acceptance rates. and I unfortunately film festivals don't revenue share with filmmakers. so there's there's no um, you know there's no income <laughs> for filmmakers. So in this new platform, it's very exciting. Where filmmakers now, it's a potential sustainability that they can do another film. Uh, so it's it's and it's based on partnership, collaboration, targeting social justice topics, um, and and things along that line.
1: Fantastic! It sounds really interesting. I'm going to want to follow up with you uh, afterwards.
3: For sure. Um,
1: especially about the Ninth Ward Improv Opera. So um, Steph Smith, I'm, I'm I'm absolutely delighted to have made your acquaintance. And um, I think it was Jamima my assistant, who uh, tracked you down. I don't even remember how, but I'm I'm really um, happy to have been able to talk with you. I see you had one more point to make.
3: Yeah, you're doing great work, Jean. I really appreciate it. Yes, um, the virtual screening is from it started on the 13th, today's the 15th. It's from the 15th to the 22nd of November. And mm-hmm. you can, if you are an organization uh, that would like to partner with us, you can go on online and just uh, click on collaboration and send us an email. You can watch the film. And the other exciting thing is the film has been accepted to be distributed on PBS. And there's opportunities for underwriting, which it has the potential to reach, the film has potential to reach uh, 30 million in our U.S. nationwide broadcast. And we only have three to six underwriting spots. So send us an email if this interests you, uh, we'd be glad to talk with you about underwriting, about partnering on hybrid, in-person, virtual events, and... Uh, please watch the film and let us know what you think. And let's talk about these important topics for women, families, and communities.
1: I'm deeply appreciative of you making the time to speak with us and um, look forward to hearing more about what you've been doing and uh, want to uh, follow up with you. Sounds All great,
3: yeah. Have a great one.
1: Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.
3: Bye-bye.